Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Rolling for JJ Williams into the 25 in. Williams kicks it on. This could be a try. Williams has scored. That little chip through by Gareth Edwards really caught the Springbok defence by surprise. Williams got his boot as he chipped ahead, kicked it through. The bounce went his way, and JJ Williams has put the line. Thanks for downloading this week's Attacking Scrum podcast. We've got absolutely stacks to get through this week. And uh, I'm delighted to say that good friend of the show, Yestin George, will be joining us to do that. How are you doing, Yestin? I'm doing great, thank you very much. <laughs> I was, uh, was going to say, it's, um, you know, an Ospreys win and a performance like that could only be dampened by, by Leeds getting hammered by Man United. Oh, thanks uh, for <laughs> mentioning that, Jed. That's so kind of you, really. Yeah. Uh, oh God. I mean, you know, it's that's that's classic Leeds, though. You know, smash the living daylights out of Newcastle and then get smashed. You know, four days later, standard, really. Oh well, there we go. I'd at least, at least this, at least this is only a, that's going to be the only football mention um, on this podcast, apart from my usual meandering into confused sporting analogies. But uh, yeah, I, I will not be. I'll not be dwelling on that game any, any Thank further. Thank you very much. Uh, but the Ospreys, on the other hand, that was a yeah, an absolute crackerjack of a performance. It's been a long time since I remember the Ospreys being in a game that exciting. It is. Um, it, there are. There were about two instances where I thought now is a good time to put on maybe to start putting the Christmas decorations up. <laughs> um, perhaps I'm going to. Yeah, I'm just going to go over here for a bit because it's getting a little bit painful and they may blow up and they may lose by a, you know, it could have been, there were moments in the game where you thought this could be a bit of a hammering after initial, you know, initial, obviously they, you know, they, there were times when they were right in the game and then it felt like they were, lo- they were, they were losing, you know, they were going to, they could have lost by a, by a comfortable margin. What an um, amazing performance! 
absolutely fantastic and on so many different fronts there's there you know obviously let's you know you know we're not going to dwell massively on the dragon's performance i imagine chad uh, well do you know what i let's get this let's get this out of the way to, to okay. start with uh as expected dragon side with 16 players missing pitches up at bordeaux and you know the, the scoreline will tell you that we were absolutely hammered and yes in the end we were but god almighty that refereeing performance belonged in the pro 14 it was that bad it really was i mean the the knock on for the first for the first try you just think that like how can you be looking at these things and miss that both the commentators picked it up scott hastings on commentary picked it up and he spent the whole game calling the winger pat lamb so you know if if scott's paying that much attention and he saw it i just i mean i was flabbergasted by that and i just think like because by the time we'd made the inevitable mistakes at the start of the second half it became then it was really it was painful to watch by the end of it and full credit to that second string side for really not you know for not rolling over and letting it be 100 points i know that sounds ridiculous but there was lots of spirit in there and you know things like the driving line out went well scrum was good you know all things which i think actually they can take into the boxing day derby and and stuff and and feel like there is a bit of confidence around there because that's you know really okay the scoreline will suggest it was a hammering and it was but it's not like we were pumped uh, we were pumped up front and that was the reason there was some very odd refereeing decisions and yes a better side ran away with it but by the time that the 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 injured and and quarantine players are back in that side. I think there's definitely something there's definitely something there to build on. So I hope I'm not coming across like a dragon's apologist, but I, I think that you have got to say a side that doesn't belong in the that doesn't belong in the Champions Cup. It's only there because of a the the weird glitch of South African teams playing in a Celtic league that that they've ended up in there, I think have given a decent account of themselves in the, in the, in these two games. So, you know, I, and I, and I think that, I think that's what the feeling will be within the camp, to be honest is, yeah, no one enjoys losing these games, but, uh, but at the same time, you know, you've got to be realistic about a squad that's paper thin and put together on a, on a, a much smaller budget than, uh, than Bordeaux and, uh, and with, yeah, 16 players out, you know, that, that was it for me really. Um, who do you think were the players that sort of made it, uh, you know, who, who staked the claim dragons wise or who were the players that you thought performed best? That's a great question, actually. Uh, I think that Joe Davis put in another big shift in the second row as he's done, you know, he's a completely unfussy player. And I think that has been, that's kind of been the, the key to these improvements is now you've gone from having second row has always been there where he'd been light so having no standout names in there, but in Screech, Davis, Carter, and to to a certain degree, Maximu again put a, put a shift in. I hadn't been massively impressed with him until relatively recently, and I think he's starting to to get into rhythm. You've now at least got four options of players who you know aren't going to get completely dominated. Uh, you know the that level of depth we don't have in the front row. That much is clear, and and that's still accounting for. That's still accounting for a lot um, in the poorer performances. But yeah, I don't know if it was it was really one for standout individuals, to be honest. I'm just thinking back, you know, Rio Dyer is very exciting, but again, you know, he's raw as anything. And 
Uh, do you know what? I, th- I think Tavis Noyle put in a big shift. And for a guy who's been injured for a lot of his career, particularly a lot of his Dragons career, it'd be very easy to look at him and think, you know, you wouldn't be interested in a game like that. But he was up for it. And and I think, you know, th- these are these are players, you know, I, there are no, there's no other side in Europe that's looking at that Dragons side really and thinking there's a lot of these players who get in our team and or even in our squads. And so actually to go out and put in that, you know, to put in a half decent performance, as I say, I, I probably am coming across like an apologist, but I think there's a, I, I just generally the, these last few games, there's definitely been, uh, there's definitely been um, something there to work with. And obviously Basham again, you know, he's a, he's a real live wire and uh, it, it does help cushion the blow of, of Ollie Griffiths being injured, having a player who can turn ball over seemingly at will. And Ollie Griffiths is going to be out for quite a while, it looks like, doesn't it? It does. And if I'm honest, when he went off last week, I felt like that was... I don't know if it was just, again, the the pessimist in me thinking this is going to be the end of his season or this is going to be him completely doomed. But to then hear people talking about, oh, well, he's not going to be available next week, I actually felt like that was a... uh, I actually felt like that was a... I don't know, I was expecting a lot worse. So yeah, he's going to be out for he's going to be out for for months, potentially back, you know, kind of around the start of the Six Nations time, which is likely to scupper his plans or, you mm. know, certainly his opportunity of getting in that squad. But you know, I, I'm just I'm just glad it's not a season ender because he's been playing so well that I hope, yeah, you know, you never know. Maybe it'll be a maybe it'll be a quicker a quicker rehabilitation sign, but yeah, you don't want to be rushing him back. It's just, it's so frustrating that he is one of those players who's always injured because when he plays, he's, he's dynamite. Yeah, absolutely. Right. We have got some cracking questions that have come in as well. So big thank you to all listeners who, uh, who sent those in. We've had some absolute joke questions as well. So I'll, uh, I'll leave those ones there, but let's, let's go on and talk about the Ospreys. Uh, yes, then this one is from Reese Knott. Are the Ospreys going to win the challenge cup? Oh, come on. Really? As an opener? That's tough. Come on, Reese. You're, you're better than that. He's, I love Reese, actually. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's a polymath, isn't he? He's a sporting polymath, Reese is. Um, oh, I think it's a big ask. I really do. But they were... You know what I really liked yesterday was obviously the the fact that they didn't lie down and that they came back but there were certain players that i just thought possibly came of age and i know that that's always within 80 minutes is a bit of a big ask but reuben morgan williams i thought he had a very good game actually yeah he did. really really good wasn't he he did i um yeah i think it was actually the the control as you know i'm yeah. <laughs> This this modern version of rugby with very uh, regimented, um, you know, architectural, uh, architecturally sound caterpillar rucks and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I, I think you know we said before it's not it's not necessarily the area of the game I get most excited about, but I thought he controlled the game really well from line actually, and was it was actually able for all of that control and box kicking and things like that was also able to zip the ball away and when he got quick ball was using it and I think that was that was nice to see not just from a yeah from a romantic point of view but also in terms of the impetus that it gave in the game I was yeah I was very impressed with him probably the the best game I've seen him have for the Ospreys I think yeah and you know the fact that he did get pinged actually by the yeah. I thought I mean uh on the Welsh commentary Welsh language commentary the um the, lots of uh Gwyn Jones side eye kind of comments about uh, the referee 
I, I thought he was quite, I know he was whistle happy, but I thought he controlled the game really well. And he pinged more, you know, he, he pinged, um, pinged him for that caterpillar ruck where he was too slow getting yeah. the ball away. Which I, I'd love to see more of. I know. I thought it was fair dues. And he was pinging people for, you know, for that kind of quick at the breakdown, just going, nope, this isn't happening, you know, rather than letting it sort of de degenerate, uh, you know, and letting, letting, the, letting the game sort of, you know, fall into some sort of disarray. He tried to manage the game. Okay. You know, he was, he was very live with the, with the whistle, but I thought, but the thing was that Morgan Williams did actually then kind of, you know, adapt his game. And there were, there was, I think one, one or two dodgy kicks, but apart from that, I thought it was, you know, it was solid. And they, the Ospreys chasing wasn't wasn't great, but it was they were they were relatively solid. And as we saw, Worcester's backs were dangerous, particularly um from first phase play. They looked really, really lively. And I I also really liked, you know, Watkins going off. I thought, oh, here we go. And T and Thomas Wheeler was another dark horse that I thought, God, he had a really, really good game in defense in particular. I thought I know that they. I know again that was the cut, cut through Ospreys on several occasions, particularly around the sort of ten twelve um, space. But I, I, I honestly thought T and Thomas Wheeler was really, really good. Um, so there were two players there definitely that I think came of age, and you just think the front row is so much um, firmer than it has been for you know. Bearing in mind that you know Nicky Smith is on the bench. Um, they they just looked really solid and oh my god a Welsh you know a a really functional uh, line threatening rolling mall from a line out I mean when has that happened in yeah in in in, in Welsh history you know yeah it was uh, that was that was very impressive and I think you you touched on a, an interesting point there about the the impact of the bench being able to bring on someone like Nicky Smith is massive but Morgan Morris was you know potentially game winning in his and again I've always thought oh, he's a really good you know prospect he's great ball carrying but his work over the ball was you know that's that's what won the game if you win penalties like that then you give yourself you give yourself a chance, whatever whatever situation the game's in, to bring someone off the bench who wins you crucial penalties in kickable areas. Bang! Yeah. You can't often more than that. Well, he was a game winner, really. Three turnovers, penalties, and a try. End of story. Man of the match. You know, I know George got it, but um, but that was that was the that was the performance that changed the nature of the game completely in the last 10 minutes. Amazing. And I mean, even I, th I got that feeling that even he was surprised, you know, mm. the third one in particular, everybody's gathering around him and he's doing this kind of like sort of raw kind of gesture, the scrum cap all lopsided. And you thought actually he's suddenly kind of going, I'm in charge of this game. You know, it was real, let's grasp the, the whole game by the scruff of the neck. And there's not many, you know, it takes something, it takes a very strong personality to do that. And, uh, yeah, it does. And I think that's the, that's the encouraging thing is you're seeing these players grow. And again, it's, you know, it's really important we don't get carried away here. Like you say, that Ospreys are going to win the Challenge Cup. But what you want to see is that progression. And Toby Booth has been in charge now for a few months and it takes a while. And I think what you are seeing is those, 
is those players who are prospects stepping up and, and saying, I can have a real impact on this team. You've seen George North. I it was reinvigorated. Best game I've seen him have for a very long time. I also thought he was great. I can't remember who was against the game at St. Helens a few weeks back. Uh, Benetton, maybe. I thought yeah. he was good then. And actually, he did a really good job at 13 for, for Wales, I think. And it's, it's all really encouraging. And he's, he's the scapegoat of the... Of the ca- uh, not that I want to slag off, you know, the casual fan, but it's it's become fashionable to bash George North now, hasn't it? And I, I thought you really couldn't fault his fault his efforts on Saturday, and that's all encouraging stuff. And even like you say, the the bit where everyone's everyone's gathered around Morgan Morris as he wins those crucial turnovers, you can tell there's a hun- there's a hunger in that squad. And again, that has been missing for, or it seemingly has been missing for a while. I'm not saying that the you know, questioning the, the commitment of the players, but that extra few percent, and you can see how fired up they are. That's all. That's all the really encouraging stuff. Yeah, and uh, it seems to me that Sam Parry now is a is has become a genuine leader. I sort of mentioned Lydia last week, who mm-hmm. was just outstanding, and again, you see him. And I think that this is this is where you go to Toby Booth and say, okay you know that's a hat tip to the coach surely because these are good players anyway right Mm. but there's something that makes them leaders in a team that is not massively different from the team that was playing 12 months ago if not you know virtually identical all of those players were there or thereabouts apart from maybe Prothero and um, you know obviously Milo was late but but they they were all around the squad Mm. And you just see, I, I really think that Parry and Lydia are absolutely key to it, allowing Tipperick to be Tipperick. Um, you know, allowing, you know, you've got players like Beard who seem to have sort of re, re again. The resurgent Beard, isn't it? It looks more like the Beard of 2019 than the one we'd seen at the start of this year. And I think, again, when, you know, looking at the Welsh side, and obviously we're going to talk about this in the in the months to come, but it's an area where we'd really struggled and not just the line out, but just general clearing out and grunts that you get from from a player like Beard. It's really encouraging to see him him coming back because he's, you know, he's a young player. He must have, what, 25 caps for Wales already, but he's a young He's a young guy and will have a lot more to a lot more to give. So I think it's again, it's encouraging to see what Toby Booth's been able to get out of him and all those other players in the squad. And when you see the the way that the lineout operates, it, it it was flawless last night. And that was, you know, it was it got tricky when the rain started after the, you thought after half time it was going to be a kick, it was going to be a messy game. Obviously, the being on an artificial pitch helps to a certain degree. To you know, it doesn't maybe you don't descend to the levels that you would do if you were on the liberty but but they the you know the you know t- again tipperick in the line out everything was secure the, it, you know it allowed them to develop rolling walls you know and score from them but also just be you know it just it takes if you have that discipline from that set piece if you've got a scrum that holds its own and it just takes a, it takes so much stress out of the game, and that's something the Ospreys, you know, haven't been able to do now for maybe two or three seasons even. And it was just, you know, there were a couple of overthrows, and apart from that, it was solid. And and I, I thought, yeah, I thought that's what then allows 
teams to drag themselves back from an 11 point deficit and just chip away and it always looked like it was going to be try but you know whenever Osprey scored you always thought well Worcester are going to come back with another try you know it was never going to be um it was never going to be that one-sided but it, it still felt like it still felt like Osprey's even though there was no real overall control of the game until the last 10 minutes it just felt like they were always in the game and that they weren't chasing it and they weren't throwing miracle passes and apart from did you see the the look that Venter gave Kieran Williams when he threw the ball into touch Venter yeah, was it like was absolutely filthy wasn't it it was the fil- and I thought that was great because Venter's yeah. on the wing you know they had two back substitutes 6-2 split that was weird wasn't it it was weird but also i think the uh there was another there was another incident i can't remember who it might be kieran williams again but it was a hideous pass that prothero got at some point i think in the first half and again he was annoyed about it but you can tell annoyed in a way like when uh when a slip fielder drops a stuart broad's nick you know it's it's annoying but it's because the standards are high. It's not yeah. not people knocking with one another. It's you've got to be better at this. And again, I, I think that was we spoke a lot in the autumn about how poor Wales's body language was against Ireland. Yeah, and I feel like the body language and the the expression, the way players are interacting with one another, is come on, you know, you you're better than this. We've got this. And I and I think there's there there was a lot of a lot of that kind of positive stuff to take out of the game. Yeah, there was, and also when. Kieran Williams ran into Dupree, uh, Dupree, and got smashed, and walked away, kind of, sort of smiling quietly to himself, knowing he just made a very bad decision to run into the biggest guy in Worcester's defence. Um, you know that that as well was a bit that was quite heartening. It was just like a kind of a team that was kind of comfortable within its within in its own skin. And, you know, we, oh, God almighty, how many times have we heard this about the Osprey's identity? And I still fight the, you know, ultimately I'll always, always kind of go, there is no identity. There is no such thing as Australia for crying out loud. Let's get over this. But from a squad point of view and from a pra- pragmatic point of view and from a squad, you know, from a performance point of view, that was a performance of a team that was more coherent than I've seen it. I still think they got, tons to do in terms of their attacking prowess but they're, they're heading they i think they're definitely heading in the right direction that was not a performance that was based on it was just a one-off uh a one-off performance like as i said to you last week that it felt like something they turned a corner after edinburgh mm. and then they then they then they just kind of result, went back to Bad old Ospreys the week after that. And it just this just feels like uh it's not a momentum shift, but it is definitely a builder. It feels like they were heading in the right direction. Whether that means that they're gonna win, I very much doubt it, to be honest. I just think there are too many good teams in that competition. But just be happy with the fact that these players are performing to their capabilities and to their potential and that's really good and you if you can bring mickey smith off the bench or you bring cracknell off the bench or you you know you bring morgan williams you know uh, morgan morris sorry off the bench you know you've got that that's going to make a big difference you know for the rest of the season i think 
Yeah, I think so. And yeah, so it's, it's all encouraging. I yeah, I, I think it's it's a long it's a long ask to say that that they're going to win it, but it's as much as anything. I, I think again, I think we said this last week. Getting out of the group and playing knockout rugby is positive for so many reasons. One, if you you know if you are able eventually to have crowds, obviously that's looking a lot less likely uh, given the the week's worth of news, but. It's positive from that point of view in terms of just giving the fan base, whether they're there or not, something to, to look forward to. But also, again, in terms of testing young players' mentality, you know, it's it's such a it's such a good run out for them uh, because it it does test the that 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 top inch is do we are we able to grind out results in big games? And you know, it's it's great being Worcester away in the. Uh, in the in the pool stages, but to be able to do something and knock out again, I think that's the, that's the opportunity that that gives players a, a, a big chance to grow. Yeah. So, I think that's good. And while we're talking about crowds, actually, we've had this one in from Ian Phillips, which I think is a great point. Has the introduction of small crowds at English venues made a big difference in terms of atmosphere? Hmm. I'd have to say, based on yesterday, yes, I think I, yeah. I think it really helped having even just a small, you know, a small amount of fan. Again, really weird, set against the backdrop of. Uh, of England going into further further lockdown just a few hours later to have a load of people at a rugby match it did feel a, a tad odd to start with but it's just, it is just so much better isn't it you'll never be able to to feel uh, to feel genuine atmosphere with fake noise no and um it, I think it was notable in games like the Gloucester game for instance where they they stole it at the last I think I don't I'm not entirely convinced that you know Gloucester have got a reputation for doing that but I don't think they would have done it without 2000 fans in the stadium so you could say that that sort of last minute comeback that kind of keep going keep going until you know with with a with a with a crowd like in a ground like in Gloucester where the fans are so wholehearted about it. I think that that does make a difference, yeah, without a doubt. And I think as well as from a yeah from a as a spectacle, a game like that deserved to have some fans there, and it it definitely made it it made it better watching watching on the pitch. I might have been a bit more acutely aware of it because I was watching with the Welsh language commentary on, and I don't speak Welsh, but it was uh, I think you know just just having yeah being able to to sense that the crowd were there as well. Uh, yeah, it definitely added to the to the overall experience. So yeah. it's quite weird when they switch the the lights off when somebody scores. You just I keep thought on, that. I thought I keep I on thought, going. Oh no, they've had a power cut. I thought like, back to to Selhurst. Was it Selhurst Park in about the nineties? And Upton Park had one as well. It was it was. Uh, yeah, I, I just I think that was going to happen. It's not. A, I mean, obviously there's some sort of pyrotechnics going on in the ground, but it just looks like they've lost the. Oh no, they've lost the lights. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. I, I definitely had that thought when the first one happened. Uh, but yeah, I did, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was slightly odd, but there we go. We still got lots more to talk about, even though two games were called off. We're definitely going to touch upon those uh, on those talking points as well. We're going to have a quick look ahead in the second half to the Christmas derbies. Which, uh, yeah, talking of, I mean, talking of crowds, it's just uh, it's that one time of the year, isn't it, when you you get really excited? And obviously, it's going to be very different this year, not having. Not having crowds packed into the uh, packed into the the regional stadiums, but anyway, we're still going to go ahead and uh, and preview those in the second half of the show. But first, we're going to take this very quick break. Well, 
Right, Justin, before we get into some more of these listener questions, I just want to finish with this this part on the Ospreys. Has Dan Evans bulked up? He looked like he, he was carrying like a like a number eight, but still had that sidestep and still had the uh, still had the kicking game. Uh, that that was great to see again. Just seeing, uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah, the not that he's not that he's really been been missing, but just how important Dan Evans can be in these games. Uh, but yeah, yeah, he looked, he looked like he bulked up to me. Yeah, and he's he is, you know, he was determined to when he carried the ball, he carried the ball really well, didn't mm-hmm. he? And I think that that's one of the things that's really hard when you're playing this slightly ridiculous kick tennis game that we're currently enduring um, is when a player goes, okay, enough of that. I'm going to go. Dan Evans is probably the one fullback in, in regional rugby that you just think, okay, you're choosing, you know, you've chosen your moment and he really does, does, does his very best, doesn't he, to break the line and run, you know, he, he's always been a, an amazing player at, a picking great lines um and he so he didn't do very much of that in terms of bringing coming into the back line but when he was carrying carrying kick back kicks back and also supporting george north as well which was a key thing i thought that was it's one thing for george north to break the first tackle mm. and to and to make a big difference which he did you know three times with absolute uh you know, with 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 a significant impact on the on the on the outcome of the game, but to have players on your shoulder and for them to be players like, you know, Kieran Williams or or Dan Evans and the, you know smart players who know what to do with it, I thought that was really important. Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree with uh, with all of those points you've made there, and it's yeah, it is it is good to see him playing like that. I thought the other thing that was encouraging was some of those offloads that were getting thrown. Again, I think that comes with confidence. You know, watching North flick the ball out of uh, at the back of his right hand and then, I can't remember who it was to, and then instantly straight back in and then sticking as well. You know, I think that's the that's definitely something that uh, that will please the coaching staff because it, it is the kind of thing that you can only get when you're, when you're training right and when you've got a good understanding of where those players are going to be. Because when you try it and and it's out of, it's out of hope, you know, that's the that's where uh, that's where the, the game of kick tennis gets gets justified again, doesn't it? Because just you just think, right, we'll play the game in the right areas and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's yeah. definitely uh, definitely uh, encouraging in that regard. Well, it goes back to that the you know uh, Williams uh, uh, past eventer, you know, the fact that he was so outraged by it again, as you said, as you said earlier, sets the suggest that they are expecting a lot more than, than that out of out of players playing and if you can if you can really utilize those wide spaces that's what that's the only area of the the pitch where you're actually going to get some joy isn't it i mean they've, they've that you know that's been proven for seasons and you know since the scarlets were doing it yeah absolutely and uh, yeah let's let's move on and talk about the scarlets now because we did have two other victories for for Welsh sides this weekend, at least on paper, anyway. Uh, so, with the games in uh, in Cardiff and uh, Antlinetli called off, twenty eight nil victories for both the Scarlets and the Cardiff Blues. We've had this question in from Lewis Davis: Were Toulon justified in calling off their game against the Scarlets at the eleventh hour, or does their behaviour show a lack of respect for the tournament and uh, EPC, EPRC, ERPC? I can never remember which way that is. The governing body. 
uh, it probably does so show what their priorities are in terms of the competition. I imagine otherwise they would have they would have played the game. Um, yeah, uh, it's yeah simply. But then, much as it was a big shock at the time, then uh, you know it it was less than twenty four hours later that everybody was going, oh, okay, so now mm -hmm. we have a particularly virulent strain of covid doing the rounds and you know uh etc etc so it was i wouldn't say it was visionary by the by toulon but it does indicate that there are they're just looking and going this is not you know i i you know i i teach it um at a university and a lot of my students are from not not many but some of them are from abroad and they're all kind of keep on saying yeah, well, it's okay in Egypt or in Sweden or in you know we we have to remember that we are actually at the at the heart of mm. this whole situation. So, you know, we we might sit back and go, oh well, you know, the French have just bottled it or they've made a made a compromised decision because they don't care about the competition. But the fundamental truth of the matter is we are actually in a worse situation than most countries. So yeah. You know, it, coming to coming to play in in Wales or coming to play in England is a dangerous game for a team that is from another country. Um, and so, it, yeah, it doesn't strike you as the fact that they had to go and pick their kit up from from you know Parker Scarlett before going home again. You know that they were there, but there, but not there, as it were. You know, it, it, but it, you just have to remember what you have to have a sense of perspective about what our situation is as compared to other countries. Are the organizers right then to to treat it as a, a straightforward forfeit of the game and uh, and a twenty eight nil, or do you, do you even have any option in that scenario? I don't think you have any option because they just you know, from an administrative point of view, they've got they've got nothing to go with, have they? They've, they've, they're, they're just thinking about running the competition. Mm. They're not thinking about the ethical implications of it. Imagine that. Let's have a let's have a deep, meaningful discussion about the ethical implications of this scenario. I don't think uh, have World Rugby ever had a conversation like that. Do you think? No, no, I'm uh, I'm not sure they have. So yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it must have been tamping though about the TV and stuff, don't you think? Yeah, they must, they must yeah, have been exactly. like livid. Well, yeah, I, I mean you. You would be, I think, particularly because it's a uh, because it's a, a Champions Cup game rather than a Challenge Cup game, which, you know, as as has been my gripe for many years, the the Challenge Cup has, you know, until this season and a little bit of last season, had kind of vanished from view completely. Uh, but yeah, with the with the Challenge Cup, obviously, it's it's not like that. And again, you know, a game like that, if it, if it had been a Dragons game, it wouldn't have mattered so much because it was buried away on BT Sport 5 or something. But yeah, it's you're right. Again, there'll be there'll be some kind of rebate financially. It's a it's a massive kick in the pants for them. So yeah, it's uh, it's not good news. Interesting though, I don't know if you spotted, and I've yet to do the maths on it, but uh, the English Premiership have redone the deal with uh, with BT Sport, which was looking somewhat shaky earlier in the week. And, uh, you know, I think that's it's, it's going to be an interesting story. And once I've had a, an opportunity to do a proper bit of analysis on it, I think that these, you know, these TV broadcast deals are so crucial now where clubs are. Well, they, they were crucial anyway, but the year that, that all clubs in Europe have been through, they're, they're increasingly so. And it's going to be it's going to be really, really fascinating to see how the next round for 
the pro whatever we're in by then the pro 16 or whatever it might be how that rolls around i can't see i can't see premier sports sticking with it i can't imagine that being the case i think what's what i find interesting about this premiership one is if cvc wanted returns on the investment that they made some two years ago the headline numbers doesn't suggest that this is providing it this feels like a like a bridging deal almost and Again, I don't know if this is just the the fantasist in me thinking, right, the next deal is going to be something a bit bigger or a bit more a bit more reformed, i.e. you've either got a big player like an Amazon coming in and putting money in as as I'm sure Premiership Rugby or, or the clubs themselves would want, or you're going to be having some kind of rejigs composition that, that might well warrant a bigger uh, a bigger investment from a broadcaster but it's uh, yeah I, I did find that one quite interesting because it's been a it's, it's been an ongoing uh, yeah, the sort of Damocles hanging over Premiership rugby I'd say how long is this deal for the one uh, I think it's a three year I'm gonna I'm gonna quickly google that while um yeah uh, while the, I'm, I'm every, away. every time you talk about Amazon because of obviously watching the football and being able to access you know, uh, five games at any given point because yeah. Amazon j- can just kind of create channels for you to watch, to watch. You know, so infinite, infinite bandwidth, basically infinite coverage. Um, it it does every time you mention Amazon, it it sounds very tempting because you just think of like wall to wall rugby, <laughs> um, which is like uh, possibly not everybody's cup of tea. But it does make for a uh, yeah a more compelling kind of uh, package, really, if you think that they're going to be able to show everything. But yeah, uh, but the yeah the uh, it just yeah I I I mean it feels I don't know is was was the whole point of Premier the the fact that they would get into the market and then get bought out was that the was that the point in a kind of satantari sort I of- think well it, it's it is a, a company that essentially is the same as Satanta I think I think ownership wise it's the same um it's the same kind of uh yeah luxembourg based irish um investors i think uh and so premier sports is ireland was the big play here i think um i think i'm right in saying that or certainly you know an irish expat market um and i I just think you can see kind of where they've bought production back in house because i think they were using a big production house like sunset and vine who do you know bt's uh, football coverage and obviously did channel four's cricket coverage back in the day which is where we all remember it from and and i think they they rebought that in before a few months before covid which just makes you think if they're trying to cut costs that perhaps jiffy was right all along and no one's watching and i do not i think that i think that is the case and they might have been able to make some subscribers work but it's, it's certainly not working in terms of growing the game so I don't know. I might be wrong. If I'm honest, I didn't really see. I didn't really necessarily see this BT Sport one working again. But it feels like they've got to a position where they've kind of just rolled over the deal, the same deal for uh, for the next three years. That I think on the website, I've just had a look. They're, they're saying it's for the next four years, so 2024. But obviously, the season's underway anyway. So I think that's the next three seasons. Uh, so I mean, it, it will give some degree of security. But it's uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm I'm intrigued to see what will happen with uh, what will happen with the, the what is looking well. 
what was looking increasingly like the Pro 16. Uh, but again, you just wonder, like, is there, is there really a chance of South African sides playing in this tournament again next year? Is that, are we going to get a Lions tour to South Africa? None of that feels particularly likely at the moment. No, it's, it feels like we're looking at, you know, May, June next year before anybody can make any decisions. Hmm. It, it feels like that's the, it, it, again, if, <laughs> you know, people create websites where you type in your, type in your uh, health condition and they tell you when you're going to get your your vaccine and if it's going to be May or June next year then you know and that's just obviously that's absolutely not based on any kind of medical evidence whatsoever but somebody just being smart and creating an app or creating a website but if if it's if it is anything like that then you, you are talking about next summer at the earliest I mean I certainly I'm not thinking about you know uh, doing a lot in terms of you know, in terms of my work until May, you know, yeah. I just think it's going to be game over until then. Um, so I can't imagine that broadcasters are going to be able to look or certainly fans and organizations, you know, imagine trying to get fans over to South Africa, um, you know, running, running Gulliver's travel trips with, with, with all that kind of stuff as well as just the logistics of playing. I mean, without a doubt, the, the cricket, I mean, the cricket in the last two weeks has been very, instructive isn't it mm. the way that that um it england managed to conduct you know two series in a bubble and then everything just fell apart as soon as they started you know uh, yeah i mean uh, again we not we'd, a good sign we'd need a complete different podcast series if we were going to go into the organizational failings of south african cricket but yeah yeah maybe another one for uh for another day that one but yeah it'd be interesting interesting to see how those things uh how those things go uh let's just pick uh this is this is a nice one from uh from robert giannotti uh he sends us in a question most weeks actually and uh this is a nice one to mull over which player would be the perfect christmas present for each of the four regions and i always enjoy these kind of questions mm. on light-hearted podcasts i enjoy it less at uh covid briefing uh, sessions as as it seems to be creeping in there but <laughs> seeing as we fall into the former of those uh, of those brackets uh, let's let's start uh let's start with let's start with Cardiff because we've not really spoken about them which player if you could name any player and I'm gonna I'm gonna let you yeah it, it, no no parameters on this whatsoever it could even be could even be a, a player from the past if you like it feels like they need Nick Williams uh yeah yeah um or uh, you know the, the, there's a lot of good stuff going on there without a doubt the, i i think this kind of this sort of notional idea of john Mulverhill's on on the last in the last chance saloon and all that kind of stuff seems a little bit i know i know that you know i'm not a blues fan so i guess their level of expectation is higher perhaps but I think that's a bit harsh, to be honest, with what he's the, the the what he's got, what he's dealt with, you know, and the fact that he's had the injury issues that they've had as well uh, is not insignificant. But I'd love to see, uh, yeah, I think I, I'd also, I also in heart, heart Lee Halfpenny. Mm. Well, yeah, I, I don't think uh, I, I don't think you're. Um... Your friends on the other side of the lacquer would be uh, would be particularly appreciative of uh, of Halfpenny moving back to moving back to Cardiff Blues, but yeah, I mean, I I can't think of any side that isn't improved by Lee Halfpenny. As as again, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before. We were saying how 
just how how good a signing he has been for the Scarlets because of his just his just his all round game. He's so it's just brilliant in defence and and such a great kicker out of hand and at goal. He's just a, a you know a real a real great of the game. But yeah, he would he he would look very good at um at Cardiff. You know, I think he would do an excellent job there. For me, I can't quite figure out what it is that's that's going wrong there because. You know, as we say, going wrong. You know, they they beat Newcastle the other week, but I felt like they put in some really good performances during while the while the internationals were away, but dropped off in a lot of those games that I felt were winnable. And I kind of felt a lot of players like Murphy had really stepped up, and again looked like a someone who can add some real grunt when Davis and Hill are away. And I don't know whether it's just general over overall depth or. Um, or, or fitness or whatever it is. But I, I personally think they, they need cover for Jared Evans. I think they're so reliant on Jared Evans and he's brilliant. But I actually think I, I'm going to sit here with a sensible hat on and say that they need a, who would be a good functional, uh, a good functional second string 10 for Cardiff. That's what they need for Christmas. Because, uh, yeah, I think, I think Tuffy struggled when he's come off the bench in those games. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm always, he has put in, Tuffy's put in occasional man of the match performances, uh, but not as any, not as you and I both looking at each other now would ever say is in keeping with what our romantic ideal of uh, what an outside half is. I mean, uh, surely he's, he's doing he's doing like his eighth spell at the Dragons soon. I think Jason Tuffy, it's, he doesn't go he doesn't go many seasons without uh, without coming back to the Dragons. But I, I mean, I, I've I've got a massive. My frustration is the the fact that drag the the scarlets have a surfeit of tens, and even even without Reese Patchell, I think that they've got too many of them. And I would be loaning Angus O'Brien or Sam Costello out to the to the to the Blues. But I know that that's not the play that you want. You want somebody more uh, a more solid ten that of a. Yeah, I mean, if Dan Bigger was playing for the Blues, that would be something else. I tell you, I tell you, who would be a player for them? And this isn't me being hipster about it. It's only because I saw him come off the bench for Bordeaux at the weekend. But Ben Botica came on and did a good. I mean, again against this Dragon side that would had fallen to shreds at this point. But he's that kind of player, a perennial number twenty-two. I don't ever really remember him starting for anyone. I think Harlequins, he was, you know, he's always kind of coming on for Nick Evans, and he. I think he'd he'd be the kind of player who would be a, who would be a very good addition to a. I thought you were going to say Danny Cipriani for a minute then. Well, I think we all, we all know he's he's heading to Rodney Parade, so um, yeah, it's not even <laughs> heading heading to Rodney Parade to sit on the bench for uh, to sit on the bench for the Dragons. Yeah, um, excellent. All right, what about uh, what about the Dragons? And any uh, any player you think would be a good fit down there? I mean, it's for me. It's it's a grizzled, gnarly, a pair of props, ideally. But yeah. it's someone like a Dimitri Arhip is what you need at the Dragons. You know, a complete brute. Uh, yeah, just a real bastard of a tight head. Someone who you know, a, with a a face only a mother could love. You know, that's that. I think is is really what's needed. Just uh, yeah, a real you know somebody real who can time specialist. Who then can also, you know, can also take Leon Brown under their wing and then teach them everything they knew, they know. Yeah, that's a good shout, actually. That, that sort of idea of, um, yeah, I can't think. I mean, because you know they are they they're not. You don't think oh they need wingers because they don't need wingers. No. You don't think they need again. 
you know they 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 have everything they uh, squad wise they they've got what they need i mean if anything you know they they have more than they need that more than you you're used to seeing the dragons have then mm. um certainly in the backs i think yeah i think it's uh, i think it's again it's a similar story to cardiff though he was so reliant on sam davis and he has you know he's been a really really good signing but again you, you're asking him to play virtually every game this year. he would have played again yesterday had he had he not have to drop out on the day so that's but i mean where do you find tens that are and obviously luckily this is a fantasy game this is a fantasy game because you know where do you find a 10 who's got experience is good enough to to come and, and sit on the bench and that's 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 proven well, the, that's proven the problem isn't it but it's why it's again, why it's why Stephen Myler's playing at the Ospreys, isn't it? It is, but because also, there aren't there aren't there there there's a generation of up and comings, but there isn't a generation of people who are kind of towards the twilight of their careers, as it were. But yeah, I, you know, frustratingly, again, moving a bit further west down the M4, and you've got, like you say, Angus O'Brien, third or fourth choice at the at the Scarlets, and uh, you know. It, the decision by the dragons to let him go was a was a really foolish one it just you know i i know you know i know he can be he can be a little bit erratic but you're telling me he's not good enough to to be a dragon squad 10 come on not having that um so yeah I, you know it, it's it's tens tens of what they need well i keep on saying about this about costello because i just think that the uh, this thing about under 20s if you know you look at jack morgan being mm. given the opportunity at the scarlets to make a claim and doing so, there are you know let's not let's not over romanticise that you know the leap from under twenties into regional rugby is even difficult in the Pro Fourteen you know. Um, but well, it is. We 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 spoke to Harry Keddie a few years ago about it, and Harry was the was the standout player in that, in that in that under twenty side that won the the slam. As you know, it's a big ball carrying eight, and he's essentially had to reinvent himself over those four years as. You know, he's still a good ball carrier, but it's not an explosive ball carrier. You know, he's um, he does a lot of grunt work and he's a, he's a good all-rounder, really, is is what he is. And he's been very important to the Dragons this year. But it's that step up, you know, physicality-wise, it is huge. But yeah, Morgan has done, has done a really good job at, uh, at making that step up. And it's a real shame to see he's picked up an injury as well. Yeah, it just needs that there's a load of, there are a load of players who are never going to get game time. So you, how can you be, how you know, Harry Keddy had injury problems right almost from the get go, mm. didn't he? He's had seasons, best part of a season out, uh, and he's had several in, several injuries. And you just think you've got to play these, you know, you've got to play the the brightest sparks from the twenties in the next seat. They've got to go up the next season. You can't. Leave, I I just don't. I don't buy this. You know, give them two seasons training with the. Firm. No, you can't. It's match. It's match fitness that you that you need. The the problem is, is that if you can't make that step up, I'm. You know, I I don't think the Welsh Premiership is is going to is going to do that. Is going to fill that gap for you. It's uh, that's the that's the problem that you've got. And again, perhaps in in future time there'll be more a a game fixtures played by the uh, by the regions, but. Yeah, you're right. These these players do need uh, do need a lot of time. We're, and talking of time, we are running out of it uh, quite quickly. But let's have a look then. So we've uh, we've done we've done Cardiff and the Dragons there. Ospreys, you'd probably say the same thing, right? It's another ten needed. 
yeah absolutely no there's there's yeah without a doubt it, there's it's crying out crying out for because Milo Milo is playing every game and every mm. pretty much every minute of every game as it is and he's got two two very raw players underneath him and it's a lot big ask a lot to ask and that the rest of the squad seems the back row seems fine the 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 second row they've and they've and they've managed to find additional players to to make the starting 15 which is great um the the front row seems okay better than okay actually yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't complain about um you know, I would maybe, maybe Callum Sheedy would be it would be a good addition. I'm not sure how long he's got on his Ooh. on his Bristol contract, but nice. at some point in time he's going to have to uh, he's going to have to come back to Wales, and you know that would be that would be a good place to a good place to head potentially. Um, but yeah, one thing the Scarlets don't need is any uh, is any more tens. Um, they got a pretty pretty good depth across across the board there, really. Um, certainly, obviously, got two international nines. They got loads of tens and. Um, I still think centre might be might be one. You know, I know obviously there's been a good addition in terms of Johnny uh, Johnny Williams coming in there, yeah. but then you've got yeah. I, I, I still wonder whether a you know essentially a, a second a second version of Hadley Parks would be would be what uh, what the Scarlets might want. Just a yeah a good a good robust centre who can slot in to twelve or thirteen fairly comfortably, good defensively. Happy to to smash the ball into contact, but also got a, a bit a bit of footballing skill. Basically, your your archetypal New Zealand provincial centre. Yeah, because there's Steph Hughes plays there, doesn't he? When, yeah, he does. When Tyler's playing outside him, um, or when you know he's not, and that's quite a tough ask as well, isn't it? What about front row? Do you think? I mean, uh, obviously they've the okay hooker in terms of hookers, but do you think mm. anything? I yeah, know. I mean, I, I think I think all the probably all of the squads could could benefit from uh, yeah could benefit from a an international you know a French international prop with yeah. forty yard caps. Um, exactly that. I was just going to say the but same. They, but it, they tend to come up. They tend to command half a million pounds a year. I think. Yeah, New Zealand prop. Uh, yeah. re- recently retired from from international rugby. Thirty two years old. Got yeah. three three years left in the tank. Yeah, you want a kind of uh, you want a kind of moody someone like that coming over into into the side. That'd be a yeah, that that'd almost be a, a complete star signing, wouldn't it? Right, let's we've got a couple of minutes left. Let's have a quick look ahead to the um, to the Christmas derby. So first up on Boxing Day, we've got the I guess the yeah that they are those traditional uh, as traditional as they get fixtures. So you've got Dragons uh, at home to Cardiff Blues and Ospreys in theory at home to. Uh, Home to Scarlets, providing they can sort something out with the uh, sort something out with the pitch. Um, how do you see those two panning out? Uh, I see the 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 Dragons Blues game as a fifty fifty. Really, is whoever wants it the most on the day. I, I, I don't think it's very uh, Blues. Blues have got the the better. You know, they the potentially have the have the better performance in them but the dragon squad is strong enough to compete if they can get everybody on the pitch then i think they i think they have every chance of winning that um and i'd say that the same thing you know you just obviously 
uh, now that the Ospreys are really brilliant and uh, are going to win everything in sight <laughs> after one, after two, two back after back to back performances, the Ospreys are going to never lose again. Um, yeah, so I, but you just think that they, they have. I, I wouldn't be surprised, even though obviously we we're only a week away from just marveling at the Scarlets' performance in in Bath. So you know, let's forget about that, right? Forget about that. Um, yeah, I I still think Ospreys have every opportunity of of nicking that. What about you? I think that uh, I have a sneaking suspicion Dragons are going to get close here. I think if we can get again, as you say, we can get everyone back fit and in the side. Obviously, yeah, Ollie Griffiths will be missing, but if you can get a side that has. Ashton Hewitt back in it that has, um, yeah, as the you know, choice of those second rows you mentioned earlier. Uh, you're able to, you know, bring Leon Brown off the bench or something like that to, to make an impact. And then, yeah, you drop back in either Keddie or Wainwright uh, into that back row alongside Basham. That then starts to feel like you, you've got a really good chance of, um, of taking Cardiff on. But again, likewise, they'll have, you know, they've, as we saw last week, Corey Hill makes a big difference to them. Uh, they, you know, they've got uh, they've got both the Williamses at nine. So I, I think that could be a really close game. But I do think that the Dragons have got a, a good chance of doing that. And confidence will be, I know we've had it with our back-to-back losses, but it's essentially, they're essentially midweek teams. You know, they've been the dirt trackers out there. And um, and so I think, yeah, if we can get a, a fully or as close to full strength side out, I think we've got a good chance. Uh, I think Scarlets would probably still be favourites just for the for the West Wales derby. Um, but yeah, I was really impressed. I just wonder whether they might benefit from having a week off because in a in a season where there's going to be more rugby than ever, I think that actually these, as I said, I think actually the Dragons benefited from having a couple of games postponed due to COVID because they came back and were able to concentrate on on training and you know had a, a few games without massive impact. So a few weeks rather without massive impact. So. I do think the Scarlets might just edge that. So I'm going Dragons and Scarlets to win those ones. But um, but do you know what? As much as anything, I just think two really full-blooded, uh, you know, cliche-driven, uh, you know, no love lost. But ideally, close, you know, close games would be really good for spiking some interest for the rest of the season. I think that would be, I think that would be ideal. No, agreed. Great stuff. Well, look, a couple of quick thanks to. Um, uh, to finish with thanks to everyone who's been listening of course particular thanks to uh this fantastic uh itunes review we had this week which is from someone called bubble beyond who says i like this pod but one of the guys sounds like he's constantly distracted uh <laughs> in a way that's akin to the guy from the vicar of dibley so i don't know whether that's directed at me or killick but uh in Seeing as Dan can't be asked to, to, to turn up for, for non-internationals, we're going to say that that's Dan. But that one certainly made me chuckle. And he still gave us four stars anyway, so that's good. So if you think we can manage better than four stars, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Big thanks, as always, to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. Again, uh, you'll probably be too late for Christmas now, but you can get some great quality coffee on there if you head over to socoffeetrades.co.uk. Uh, and a big thanks to you, Justin, for joining us once again. No, thanks very much, Jed. Uh, let's uh, hope for hope for more exciting times ahead. Fingers crossed. Well, either way, we'll be back to chat rugby with you very, very soon.
Social Podcast Network.